0: Welcome to this sermon podcast from Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. I'm super curious about something. What is this up on the pulpit for? Oh! Oh, okay, so it says, please leave in the podium area. It's a music prop. And I thought, well, she's going to pick up this can of generator oil at any moment... And something spiritual's about to happen with it. I I was really wondering if we were gonna do some charismatic anointing or what was it gonna happen and, and I guess it's a, it's the music prop. It actually does prop up the music. Okay, well that's nice. It's always nice to have you know that you know what they call that? They call that repurposing. They call that repurposing. All right, take your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter 4, by the way, the if I may say it this way, the best psychology in the world is the book of Philippians, the whole book of Philippians, a great study <laughs> for us in regard to uh, how we ought to think. Now we're talking about thinking, by the way, you're excited because there's snow on the ground for the uh, opening day of deer season, isn't that exciting? Why do you want snow on the ground? Track the, deer. track the deer, especially a blood trail, right? Okay, that would be great. Um, how many, and just be honest, you know, here's the thing, and fellas, you listen to me about this, okay? How many men in this room know that the most embarrassing moments of your life take place in the woods? You notice that? Okay, you're not even willing to admit that far. And, and how about this? How about at the boat ramp? Isn't that crazy what happens at the boat ramp? There should be a reality TV show where they simply film the boat ramp. I think, I think it would be—you'd uh, have to—you'd have to bleep out the language, but you could have the TV show at the boat ramp. <laughs> I have—I have on now since you're not confessing your sins. I don't know if anyone will be honest about this. Have you ever—have you ever shot a deer, found blood—you know, blood, fresh blood—and tracked it? but not found it. Anyone like that? Thank thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Uh, That has happened to me on a couple of occasions. One occasion, if there had been snow, perhaps I would have found the deer. I tracked it very, very well, by the way, for probably over 100 yards, maybe 150 yards. And then all of a sudden, at a clearing, the last little puddle of blood was right at the edge of a clearing. Then in this clearing, where it should have been easier to look, it it vanished. There was nothing there. There was nothing there. I have discovered what has happened, and this will help every one of you who, who have ever left the field having not found the deer. I have discovered what happens to those deer, and it's very simple. It's obvious to anyone. UFO abduction. That's that's my explanation. The UFO, the aliens take my deer, and they eat them. And I'm tired of feeding aliens. It happens way too much. All right, dear your Bible's open to um, Philippians 4. Look at verse number 4, okay? Philippians 4, verse 4. The Bible says this, Rejoice in the Lord. What's the next word? Always. And again I say, rejoice. Now, if you mark in your Bible, underline the word rejoice in that verse. It appears two times in verse number four. Verse number five says this, let your moderation, the idea of moderation is self-control, let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Verse seven, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Um, Underline the words in verse 7, the peace of God, the peace of God. Between verses 4 and 7, verse 4 speaking of always rejoicing, verse number 7 speaking of the peace of God that passeth understanding, keeping your heart and mind through Christ Jesus, between those two, bookmarked between the idea of rejoice and peace, is God's specific plan to have peace in your heart. Now, I want you to notice, it is not, this is really important to understand, it is not passive, okay? Listen to what I'm about to say. Knowing the peace of God, well, Pastor Marty, I want, I want God's peace in my heart, and therefore I'm going to pray that God will give me peace. Um, it does not work that way, okay? Now look at me, you say, Pastor Marty, that sounds heretical. Now I'm telling you what the Bible says. It doesn't work that way, because all of us want something passive, because it's easy. We, we want God to step in and fix our mess. Anyone ever been there? I've been there in life. I want God to step in and fix my mess. When God gives me clear instructions how to fix my own mess, and between verse number four, the word rejoice, and verse number seven, the word peace, are specific instructions of what I am to do. And, and to be frank with you, If I'm not willing to do what the Bible says to do in order to know the peace of God, I will not know the peace of God. Uh, Having God's peace in my heart or peace of mind is not something that is some grand secret, nor is it something that happens because of some hyperized spiritual experience. It is something that happens when I obey the Scripture. And the beauty of it is this, listen folks, that is within our ability. Because God says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, going back, by the way, if you were not here last night, there's the notes from last night. Get the notes and listen, (laughs) listen to this online. This will be online somewhere, right, preacher? It'll be online. So, listen online. Okay, the basis was, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh, that is my thoughts, in his heart that is my emotion, so is he, that is my behavior. Now remember from last night, we said based on scripture that our thoughts produce our emotions and our emotions drive our behaviors. Does everyone see that? Based upon that scripture verse. Then uh, we went to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. And we said this, our responsibility, according to the scripture, is to capture or to confront, you can use either word, our thoughts and bring them into captivity into obedience and conformity to Christ. Now, there are two things in chapter 10, verse 5 (coughs) 2 Corinthians that we're to do. Number one, some thoughts we refuse. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. So look at folks, look. Look, any thought that crosses your mind that does not have God in the equation is to be cast down or refused. And by the way, that's a lot of our thinking. A lot of our thinking, okay? And, and, and when we analyze our thinking and we realize, wait a minute, I'm all worried about this. I'm wound up. I'm anxious about this but it's because I haven't put God in the equation, those thoughts are to be refused. (laughs) And we also said last night, to bring thoughts into conformity or to the obedience of Christ, there is a reframing of thinking. And we went through several exercises there in the notes uh, about how to reframe, how to change your thinking, okay, so that it lines up with the Bible and produces a positive emotion. Now, Now look at me. All thinking that is biblical thinking ultimately, there's the active word, the important word, ultimately produces a positive emotion. Even repentance... Or what we would call godly sorrow. We say, Pastor Monty, sorrow is a negative emotion. But godly sorrow works a change that produces something positive. Sorrow is not wrong. I want you to really understand something. I am not suggesting by this that you ought to be just 24-7, bouncing off the ceiling with joy, no matter what happens in your life. Okay, That That is not realistic. Biblically speaking, joy... Is not being giddy. Have you ever met someone who's giddy? And just goofy all the time, giddy and goofy, kind of like the preacher. No, just kidding. No, no the preacher's not that way. But if, if, sometimes a person who's giddy um, is is wrong emotionally in the wrong response because of a of a of a set of circumstances. Okay, we are to rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Okay, so we don't deny human experience, but but what is biblical joy? Biblical joy is that thing that can buoy me up that can lift me up above the circumstances of life, even if tears are coming down my cheeks. It is possible to know joy and yet to know sorrow at the very same time, because joy is that thing that lifts me up, that buoys me up. But we said we have to capture our thoughts, and then we have to refuse or reframe them. Now tonight is intensely practical because when I capture this thought, I confront it and I think about my thinking. I become a student of myself and of my mind. This takes practice, but it will work. Okay? If you'll do this for two solid weeks, you'll be amazed at how this will change you. But now now so you need to have a standard. Where are my workers? Where are my workers? My overpaid workers. Here, <laughs> Here they are. They're going to pass that out out for you tonight. So so here's what we're going to do. We're we're going to break this whole thing down biblically. And then I'm going to give you standards by which you can judge your own thinking and know what to do with the thoughts that you have. Number one, understand the importance of self-control. Look at verse number five. Right after he tells us in verse four to rejoice, he says this. Let your moderation, your self-control, be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Okay, folks? Moderation is self-control. In other words, Scripture commands you to be in control of your thoughts, uh, yourself, including your thoughts. Now, now I want everyone to look this way, okay? Stop using the excuse. Well, you know, Pastor Monty, this is just how I'm programmed. We don't do that in any other realm, in every other realm. Okay, okay, and I think I brought this up, and it's just getting worse. You know, I, you know I've, been, I've struggled with weight my entire life, okay? At this point, I'm no longer struggling at all with weight, I'm just giving in. But uh, i struggled, I've struggled my whole life. Now, do you know whose fault that is? Well, Pastor Monty, it's your wife's fault because she's an excellent cook. She is an excellent cook. She bought something that is absolutely transformative, ladies, transformative. Preacher, have you yet bought your wife an instant pot? What? <laughs> oh, you poor benighted soul. How many in the room have ever heard of that, an instant pot? Okay, it is the most phenomenal household appliance. You have, this would be the ideal Christmas gift. But buy it before the holidays so she can use it now. And 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 someone said to me, Pastor Monty, never buy your wife a gift that has a cord on it, like an electrical cord. They said that's not romantic. Listen to me, (laughs) listen to me. It's practical. And what's more romantic than being practical? You know, it's a pressure cooker, but it's an electric one. And it's a time thing, and it cooks everything fantastic, and your wife can get online on Pinterest and Facebook, and she can find 10,000 recipes, and it makes the most fabulous beef stroganoff that you have ever had in your entire life, preacher, and it does it in like 10 minutes. And how many ladies who have one, do you love your Instant Pot? Yeah, you should. You should love it, and you should use it. You're not right with God if you have one and don't use it. And so so I don't even know how I got on this. You, You do the same thing? Okay. They're passing out papers, and I don't know why. Um, oh, my weight, my weight. Okay. <laughs> I'm back to this. Okay. now thank you. Thank you, son. Thank you. Very good. Um, okay, so, so do you know here, here's a, whose fault is it? It's not my wife's fault that she's a great cook. It's where's Yvonne? Right there. It's not Yvonne's fault that she made me cakes and cookies. And, and sweet rolls. It's not her fault. Do you know whose fault it is? It's my fault because I control what I eat. And everyone says, you know, I'm in charge of that, <laughs> okay? Okay, I'm in charge of it. I can't blame Someone said, Pastor Monty, do you have a thyroid problem? I really wish I did because I could blame it on that. Um, it's my fault. Okay, listen, my thinking is something I control. That is why the word moderation or the word self-control is used in verse number 5. Because self-control is something that I can control. And note, note please here, that God says to us, by way of a command, let your moderation or your self-control be made known unto all men. This is something I am responsible to do. And it is in the context of joy and rejoicing. But then he goes into this in deeper detail. Look at verse 6. So you know that we're being biblical. Look at verse 6. <clears throat> Be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. Um, well, what does that mean? Okay, if you are to look at a modern version of the Bible, you might see the word anxious there. However, I prefer, I greatly prefer the word careful. Because careful, think about what the word means. It means this, to be filled with what? Care. To be filled with care. Paul is saying, do not allow yourself to be filled. In other words, there's no room for anything else. If I fill a glass with water, there's no room if I've really filled the glass completely. When my mind is filled with care, there is no room for anything but the care and concern that I have. Now, listen carefully. (laughs) Carefully. I am not telling you to not care. This is very important. When When I first was developing this line of thinking. I had a phrase that I would use with my wife. It became a bit of an issue in our marriage. When she would do something or say something that I didn't like, I would look at Kelly and I would say, Kelly, you are disturbing my tranquility, and so I'm not going to care. How many know that that didn't work? <laughs> okay. Okay. okay, that is what you call the classic overcorrection of a problem. The idea of not being filled with care doesn't mean to not care, but, but it means to not be obsessed by care to the point where there is no room in your mind for anything else. When, when a few years ago, uh, this uh, I don't know, maybe eight, nine years ago now, I was in the bathroom, I was getting ready for a visitation on a Saturday morning, and I felt funny, and so I, I, I felt like I was dizzy. And all of a sudden, and I, I started to go down, and I grabbed onto the window ledge as I went down and, and broke my fall, and I was just laying there on the bathroom floor. Nobody was at home. My wife was up at the church cooking breakfast for people, and, and I was laying there on the floor, and I felt really dizzy. I thought, you know, I thought, this isn't natural. I <laughs> thought, this, this shouldn't be happening. So rather than go to visitation, I went to, to my doctor. For He had, has Saturday hours, but he didn't have, I didn't have an appointment. And by the way, do you know you can always see your doctor... You can always see your doctor. Just go into your doctor's office and tell the nurse that you just passed out or that your blood pressure is running 300. Even if it isn't, they'll give you an appointment right then and there. But um, I'm joking when I said that. So I went in, I told the nurse what happened. She said, well, the doctor see you right away. And boy, they checked my blood pressure, and it was just soaring. I, it was close to 200 or something. It was just, it was way up there, preacher. So immediately they put me on blood pressure meds right away. Blood pressure meds, get this down. And it did. It worked within hours. Everything was normal again. And then the next day, I took them the next day. Well, then, it got to the point, though, where these pills, I don't know what they were. They were wonderful. They they were tremendous. Because I didn't care about anything. My kids referred to these blood pressure meds. These are not narcotics, folks. Don't look at me that way. And by the way, you're the people who legalized pot, so quit looking at me that way. Just kidding. I know you didn't do that. Um, my, my, my kids called them this. They said, those are Dad's happy pills. They're blood pressure medications. They're like, man, we love it when Dad's on these pills. Woo, Dad doesn't care about anything. Woo, you, want, you don't want to go to school? Eh, I just don't go to school. Who cares about that? You know, and, and, and finally I realized I've got a problem. I cannot be an effective pastor and not care. <laughs> Okay. I have to care. I, Preacher, you have to care, at least somewhat. I went to the doctor. He changed my medications. And, and now I'm on something that, that lowers my blood pressure, but I still care. It's important to care. Here's, here's the point. When it says don't be filled with care or be careful for nothing, don't, don't fill up with care on one thing, what he's essentially saying is there are certain things about which you should care and certain things about which you shouldn't. Now listen, we're going back to our thinking here. How do I identify thoughts that I need to refuse? Okay, look at your outline. Number one, I'm going to give you something that I call the uh, the c- control paradigm I'm under number 2 at point D and I circled that the control paradigm what is appropriate care okay now I want everyone to listen this is where I'm giving you rules about your thinking. Actual rules that you can put into practice. Okay, number one, number one, the things over which I have no control, okay, no control. These things I dismiss from my thoughts completely. Okay, now now everyone focus on what I'm saying. Okay, there are people in this room right now, and I've been there, who get wound up with anxiety. And with worry, listen to me, about something over which you have absolutely no control. None. Do you know people get wound up about the weather? That couldn't possibly be true about Michigan people because the weather's beaten you down a long time ago. I know you're used to it. You're, you're, you're embracing it. You're embracing the cold. There are people who get all bent out of shape over the weather. Folks, look at me. Can I control the weather? No. Well, Pastor Monty, but it's just so dark and gloomy. (laughs) Okay, but all of that emotion, pushing against it from within you, does nothing to change it, so stop it. That's how we become filled with care. Now, there's a practical point to this, okay? The weather is is an example. How about this, preacher? Other people... Preacher, you can't control other people. You can't do it. Well, Pastor money if, if only so-and-so would come, and, and they listen to the preaching, and, and, and I'm just so worried, I'm so concerned about so-and-so in their life. Uh, okay, okay. You can't control that person. Now, I'll get to what you can do in a moment. But honestly, folks, listen. There, there are some of us in this room who have an adult child who's away from the Lord or who isn't saved. And you agonize in your thoughts about this to the point of filling your mind with anxious care. I'll tell you what to do after a while, so stay tuned to that. But folks, listen, you cannot change people. You cannot. There are certain things you fundamentally cannot change. And when I fill my mind with rumination... Concerning something that is beyond my power to change, it is wasted emotion and it brings anxiety and stress to my life. The things over which I have no control, anything from the weather to the reaction or behaviors of people. Uh, So here's what I do. (coughs) What what so ask yourself this. Just ask you, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. What's bugging you today? What's bothering you today? Okay, well, you know, Pastor Monty, today I've really been thinking about this, this, and this. Is it something over which you have control? Well, no, that's why it bothers me. Okay, since you can't control it, listen, stop thinking about it. Do you know why? It does no good. Hey, I like the news. How many of you like the news? I like like the news. But you know what I have to do? Preacher, I give myself a vacation from the news sometimes. Because it can get me all wound up. It can really get me wound up. And, and, and when I allow it to do that, do you know why I'm allowing it to do that? It's because I'm allowing myself to become filled with care, careful, over something about which I have zero control. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading it or knowing what is happening, but if all of a sudden you're really wound up, okay? If if I'll, oh, Pastor Ronnie, you just, I just, did you see what Nancy Pelosi just said? No, I, I didn't. Well, but Pastor Monty Pocahontas, she's at it again. <laughs> you know, look, look. Can I show you something? If you, if you are to the point where you want to strangle your Democratic next door neighbor, you have had way too much news. Okay, <laughs> okay. You, you, you are, you, 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 and and, and, and Republican. If you're <laughs> strangle a Republican, you, you've just okay. It goes both ways. You have had too much. These are things we cannot control. Do you not see in our nation, now watch, to practical speaking, do you not see in our nation where both sides of the aisle have gotten incredibly wound up over these issues? Do you see that? Do you see that we're living in a nation now that is a nation of intensity beyond anything we've ever lived in before, and we're living in a nation that is clashing? And you say, Pastor Monty, both sides are just to the boiling point. Yes, they are filled with Care, frankly, over a lot of things we cannot control. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? Okay, so that's important (laughs) and a very important point. Okay, um, so things I don't have control about, I don't think about. I refuse them. Number two, the next page, and we're looking at the control paradigm. There are certain things over which I have complete control. Complete control. These are the things that I ought to focus on, these include our thoughts our eating habits, our goals, our opinions. I have complete control over my opinions. My responses. You cannot choose your circumstance. You can always choose your response. Okay, does that make sense? These are things of which I have complete control. Much of my energy should be spent over what I control completely. You say, why? Because that is the place I can be the most productive, and that is the place that is the most rewarding to me personally. So focus on the these things, by the way, including and especially your thoughts, okay? Once you get the mental muscle down, once you start practicing this, that's where I put my mental time. However, point number three, this is where we live. This is where we live. Things over which you have some control. How many know this? That most of life is made up of, think about your work life, or your school life, or your home life. Most of life is made up of things over which you have some control, but not complete control. And the part of the equation over which you have no control, that part of the equation, that part is the part that causes you anxiety. There is a way to respond to this. Look at point A under number three. Focus your thinking Focus your thinking on your part of the equation. Do the best you can for the part for which you are responsible. Preacher, let me give you an example. <clears throat> we pastors do some counseling. Oh, you wouldn't believe, folks. You wouldn't believe the stuff we get involved in, in counseling. You wouldn't believe it. It would curdle milk if you knew. It's so interesting, I totally forget all about it when the session is done. But it's rough sometimes. Sometimes I I had a counseling session a while back where uh, parents called me. They said, Pastor Monty, our, our, um, our daughter has become a vegan. A vegan what 's a vegan it 's a, it's a person who 's a, a vegetarian and who 's mad about it <laughs> that 's what a vegan is okay a ve- a vegan is a vegan is a man or woman most miserable because they 've decided to punish themselves with vegetables a, a vegan is some, a vegan is somebody who, who just doesn 't eat meat okay they don 't eat meat and and they called and they said pastor you 've got to talk our teenage daughter out of this being a vegan i thought I preached. I thought, what in the world? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I, I mean, go get a hamburger, eat at McDonald's. I don't know. How, what do you do? So I, I prayed about, it and I thought, is there any scripture anywhere in the Bible that addresses this? And do you know what? The Holy Spirit actually <laughs> brought scripture to my mind, like we talked about last night. And the, the Apostle Paul said this: that, that uh, forbidding to eat meats is a doctrine of devil. It's a seducing spirit and a doctrine of devils. That's interesting? And the Holy Spirit brought that to my mind. And so I looked that up, and I prepared. Now, now listen, I prepared for the counsel. But Pastor Monty, weren't you nervous and upset about, about the result, uh, how the girl would respond? But there was a time when I would have been. But now here's what I understand. My responsibility is to do my best in the thing over which I have control. So for me in counseling, that would mean preparation, right? That would mean prayer. That would mean thinking the problem through in advance, if I could, as much as I possibly could. That would mean everything I could do to to make myself the best I can do. But, But here's the thing. After I have done everything I can, preacher, to be the best I can be, I refuse to worry about outcomes. Now listen, folks, that's where we struggle with this. We worry about the outcome. Pastor Monty, you know, I'm going to do the best that I can, but, but what if this happens? What if that happens? What if the outcome is not right? That's where we become filled with care. Folks, listen our concentration, our thinking, needs to not be on the outcome. That is to be left with God. But our thinking needs to be on the part about which I have control. So, so when, when I'm dealing with an issue or problem, I do my dead level best. But if I can't convince the other person of the error of their way or to go a, a different direction, I can't let that take over my life. There was a time as a young pastor that I felt... That if someone, if I gave them counsel, and they didn't follow the counsel, and then tragedy ensued, I felt like it was my fault. There really was. I felt like, you know, I didn't reach those people. I couldn't get through to them. What's wrong with me? A better pastor would have been able to get through them, and, and they would have listened to a different pastor. My approach was wrong, and, and I blamed myself. Listen, listen, stop it. Okay, stop it. You cannot control outcomes. Does everyone understand? You can only do the best that you can do. You say, Pastor Monty, I'm going to play. I'm going to play in a golf tournament. I hope I win the golf tournament. I hope you win too. But the only part you can control is your skill and how you play the golf tournament. You can't control anything else around you. You can't control the weather. You can't control all of the uncertainties of golf. That's what makes golf fun. The last time I golfed, I was golfing with a local weatherman uh, on WTHR, Chuck Lofton. I was golfing with Chuck Lofton at a charity golf event. The last time I golfed, I don't ever golf. I, I was, it, was, it was my turn to hit the ball. Man, I just went bang. And I had these golf clubs that were too short for me, so I tried to compensate by hitting super hard. And, and the, the ball went, it went straight up, and then it curved dramatically to the right. I mean very dramatically. Well there was a little concession stand over there and, and the ball was headed to going over over the concession stand and it did go over the concession stand and I heard a scream from the other side of the concession stand and I, I went over there. You see, Pastor, why? Because golf balls are expensive. Okay, <laughs> I went over there. There was a lady who had had a plate A paper plate with two hot dogs covered in mustard. My golf ball had come right over that thing and landed square onto her plate. And when it did, she was so alarmed by that that she took the whole thing and brought it up to her like this. She was covered in mustard. It was more mustard than if someone had sprayed her down with mustard. It was horrible. And when I, I went over there, and I asked her where my golf ball was. <laughs> Why, Pastor Monty? Because golf balls are expensive. And so I, um, she was irritated. I apologized. But then I asked for the golf ball back, and it was covered in mustard. And then I asked her for a napkin. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, Chuck laughed and said, Monty, don't ever play golf again. And I never have. Now, now, I, I cannot help outcomes. But I can focus on areas where I have full control. So point B, don't focus on outcomes that are beyond your control. You can control some things, but you can't control outcomes. Be satisfied when you have done your personal best. Okay. So the control paradigm teaches this. Is this thing that's dominating my thinking that has filled me with care, is this thing something over which I have no control? If it is, nip it. Stop it. Be done with it. You have no control over that. Well, Pastor Martin, you know, this horrible thing happened. It happened. You cannot change history. Stop, stop, stop ruminating about it. Okay, what about something of which I have full control? Hey, focus there. Man, because that's where you can see the most victories in your life, discipline, things like that, reading, whatever it is. What about things in which I have some control? Focus only on the part of the equation that you directly control and leave the outcome to God. That's the control paradigm. (laughs) There is a second one, a second one, and I call this the time paradigm. Okay, I'm determining my thought patterns based on the time setting of a particular issue. Okay, Philippians, you're at Philippians. Look at chapter three, Philippians chapter three. Look at verse number thirteen. It says three in your outline. That should say it does say thirteen if you look closely. Philippians three thirteen. Paul says this, brethren. I count not myself to have apprehended. I have not arrived. But this one thing I do. And what is the thing he does? forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth to those things which are before. But it starts with forgetting. Now I want everyone to look this way. Do not think about the negative past. Every word of that is very important because I'm not telling you to dismiss your whole past. But there are some things that are negative. Now, Paul uses the word forgetting, and I understand we think that forgetting happens by accident. But in reality, forgetting can happen when I refuse to think about something negative that has taken place in my past. Folks, I, folks, I really want to help you with this, and this was key to overcoming the situation that I had a couple years ago. Um, I have no control over the past. Now, think about the control paradigm. What has happened is happened. You know, the young people saying they're right about this. It is what it is. It has happened. I have no control over that. Well, Pastor Monty, but, but I, I, I understand it's happened and it's done, but I just, I just need to know the reason why. I want everyone to look at me right now. That is ridiculous. Psychology for several generations has said we should try to figure out the why of everything. There's a new thinking in psychology, much more healthy, that says forget about it. Did you know why that is? You may never know the reason why. In the case of of my brother's suicide, I will never know the reason why. All the reasons why, I, I, I will not know that. Okay, Even if I came to know it, which is very unlikely in most things in our lives. Let's just be honest about it, okay? Most things are, Pastor Money, you know, I just don't know why why my dad wasn't close to me. I stood at the, at the uh, casket of a man. I didn't know him. I was doing his father's funeral. I didn't know his father. It's just one of those things where I was called upon to do it, and the man was in his 40s. And and uh, I'd introduced myself, and he was at the casket, and he, he opened up to me right away, and he said, Pastor, he said, I... I never had a good relationship with my dad. We're standing there right over the casket. He said, I never had a relationship with my dad. He said, I, I don't understand. He said, I, I, all my adult life, I've wondered why. Well, I think the Holy Spirit gave me something to say to him. Because I said this, I said, you know, you will never know the reason why. I said, there are hundreds of thousands. I want you to think with, with me right now. There are hundreds of thousands of things that influence that man to be the man that he was. Some things positive, some things negative. There were things in his childhood that influenced him a certain way. I said to this man, I said, you will never know all of those things. And I said, certainly he made perhaps some choices that weren't the best, but you'll never know the reason he was influenced for those choices. And I said this, it's not important to know why. I said, at this moment, it is really important to extend to your father a lot of grace. A lot of grace. Do you know why? Because one day we'll be laying in that same casket. And there will honestly be people, maybe our kids or grandkids, I don't know, people close to us, who wonder, I wonder why Dad was that way. I wonder why Mom was that way. Do you know you might not even know yourself why you're that way? To ask this question about the past, why, 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 is to expend emotional effort on something, listen, that will not change. The, the, The question to ask is not why, the question to ask is, what should I do today in relationship to that? In other words, in other words, when, when I went through this time with my brother, I could have wallowed around in it and said, why, 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 why? But I had a list of things to do. And one of the most therapeutic things for me was to accomplish a list of things. Well, Pastor Monty, did you feel like doing it? Look at me. No. No. I didn't feel like doing any of the things on my list. Can I give you something revolutionary? <laughs> I acted contrary to my feelings. That's revolutionary. Oh, but Pastor money. you've got to have your feelings. No, no. I acted contrary to them. There are certain things in the past, folks, if you keep going back there, you have chained yourself to that event. You've got to stop. Now, Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go somewhere, and you I'll be criticized maybe, maybe not. Listen... In a crowd this size, in most places where I would speak, there's someone in the room who was abused, either physically or mentally as a child, or sexually, okay? Someone who's been abused. Can I, can I say something about this? You'll never get away from it if you keep ruminating about it in your mind. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? You, you'll never be free. And, and as awful a situation as any kind of abuse is, and I'm never minimizing that, As awful a situation as any kind of abuse is, if I continue mentally to bring myself back to that abuse, I am chained to my abuser. But Pastor Money, I just can't stop thinking about it. Yes, you can. And in something very traumatic, it may take your saying out loud, No, I don't think about that. It may take you out loud, rebuking that thought that comes into your mind and say, oh, no, no, I don't think about that. Or I don't think about that because that is unhealthy for me. Folks, listen. If something happened in the past that is negative, I, you can't change it. So you, you just say, well, okay, this happened, but then I have to move on. <coughs> that is healthy, uh, much healthier thinking. Okay, um, I, I put this in the margin. Look, if you will, you can see over there in that, that margin, I wrote this. Um, you wouldn't pour last week's garbage on your living room floor. Okay, when in the world does that mean? Think about this. Last week, you had a lot of trash. Does your house generate more trash than it should? My house does. I cannot believe the amount of garbage that we, we generate and in the summertime, it's especially noxious, because I have encouraged everyone in my family to put the garbage, of course it's in a plastic trash bag, but in the summertime especially, to double bag the trash, because it's really nasty. And in the summertime, it sits out there in that hot black container. Well, Pastor Monty, it's a garbage man's responsibility. You know, what if you were the garbage man? What you don't want someone to just throw loose trash, a bunch of nasty, dirty stuff in a can, and you have to dump that can. Be nice to the garbage man, okay? Double bag your trash. Well, Pastor, Mike, it costs extra money, but it's nice to be a Christian, right? And double bag only, and if you're not anywhere, let's not go there theologically. Uh, but double bag your trash, okay? What if in the summertime that trash, you know how trash is? It gets all warm, and it has something called trash juice. Does everyone know what I'm talking about? There's nothing nastier on the planet than trash juice, okay? Trash juice is horrible. So what, what if you had some that had been fermenting out there in the sun for a few days, and, and this was last week's trash, and it's all nasty, and it's got lots of trash juice in the bottom of the bag. What if you, what if you brought that in to your living room, okay? And, and in front of your wife, and you brought that in, and you poured that trash on the living room floor in front of your wife, what would your wife do? She would divorce you, okay? She, or she would commit you, one or the other. Well, you say, Pastor Monty, that's crazy. I, I would never take last week's trash and pour it all over the living room floor where everyone could see it and where everyone could smell it and where everyone would be affected by it. Okay, you wouldn't do that in your living room. You'd do it to your brain, When you think about the negative things of the past, you are reaching into the past, you are grabbing a big garbage bag from the past, and everybody has garbage in their past. It's part of life. You're grabbing that garbage bag, you're pouring it out on the living room floor of your mind, and you're examining it, and you're letting the filth and the dirt and the stink rise up into your nostrils and affect you right now. You know what I say to that? Stop it. I had negative things in my childhood. There are things that I, I want to forget about. What, well, Pastor Monty, can you forget? No, you don't always forget, but I refuse to think about them. Don't think about the negative past. Number two, don't think about the uncertainties of the future. Oh, this is mine. This is mine right here. Matthew six thirty four. Jesus said, Take, therefore, no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought concerning the things of itself, sufficient to the day is, of, is the evil thereof. Take no thought. Okay, now now listen. The future is not within the realm of your control. Do not obsess over it. Simply refuse to worry about the future and what it holds for you. If you do so, you spoil today over something that likely won't happen anyway. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I'm going to ask you, Do you ever worry about the future? Pastor, the economy sometimes is uncertain. My job situation, Pastor, is uncertain. I haven't saved enough for retirement. That's uncertain. My health situation is uncertain. Look at me. Look at me. What I just said holds true for every one of us. Do you know why? The future is uncertain. Well, but, but Pastor, you know, if, if I will just do this, 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 and this, I, I'm not telling you not to put money in a 401k or save, I'm, I'm not telling you that. But I'm saying stop obsessing over it. Stop obsessing over it. Do you know why? I can't control it. I had a man and his wife, they got saved in my church a few years ago, coming faithfully to church. And he came to the office one day, and he, he made this remark, he said this, he said, Pastor, he said, I've got bad news from my doctor, he said, I have a brain tumor. This man had uh, had been a banker, a president of a local bank, and he had set himself up beautifully for retirement. And he had money, and they were conservative in how they lived, but he had money. Set up beautifully for retirement. He, it was a couple months, maybe six months after he retired that he came to me. He told me, he said, I have brain cancer. He said, they're going to treat it with, with, uh, with drugs and things, chemotherapy. They did that. He went through one round of chemotherapy. He was sick as a dog. He called me. He said, preacher, he says, is it okay if I just stop chemotherapy? He said, it can't cure me. And he said, oh, I'm as sick as a dog, and I don't want to live this way. And I said, it's fine to refuse uh, extreme medical attention. That's fine. And he said, I'm just going to take some pain medication, and I'm going to enjoy the last few weeks or months, whatever I have of my life. And very shortly after that, that man passed into eternity. Now, he had made adequate preparations for the future. But I want you to listen to me. He couldn't control the future. Am I right about that? So when you spend your time ruminating over the future, thinking about future things, well, you know, Pastor, and by the way, according to Jesus, that includes thinking about tomorrow. Well, Pastor, I'm just so worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. Jesus said, don't. Think about the morrow. Now, does everyone see that's pretty clear? He said, that Tomorrow will take care of the things of itself. And then he said this Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know what that means? Jesus was saying, There's enough bad stuff to think about right now. <laughs> okay? Don't project to the next day, don't project to the future. Um, it was Seneca, the Roman Stoic philosopher. Seneca said this He suffers more than necessary who suffers before it is necessary. How many times do we cause ourselves mental anguish or suffering by projecting into, well, Pastor Monty, you know, I know exactly what's going to happen. (laughs) No, you don't. Are you clairvoyant? Are you reading tarot cards? Do you have a Christ? Well, I, I just know what's going to happen, and I'm always right. No, you're not. Okay, we'll deal with your intuition tomorrow. No, you're not always right. The truth of the matter is this. Once in a while, you might get it right, but most of us in this room, including yours truly, worry about things that never happen. We really do. Stop ruminating about the future, whether it be the far-flung future or whether it just be tomorrow. The idea that Jesus gives us in that passage is to learn to live in the present time. So, number three, focus on the present moment. What does that mean? Learn to embrace your present situation. Embrace the things you cannot change. Accept circumstances without wasting emotional energy pushing against them. I'm going to live in the present moment. Well, Pastor Monty, you know, the present moment. I, I don't like the present moment. I'm not happy about the present moment because I have to go to school. Or, or how about this? I have to go to church. Some people feel that way sometimes, including the preacher. Or how about this, preacher? I just don't feel like it, but I have to preach. We have to preach, don't we? Whether we feel like it or not. The Bible says in season or out of season. Can I help you with something about this present moment? Change the word I have to to the words I get to. This is huge. This is huge. If we, well, I have, <coughs> I have to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and it's going to be dark 30 and it's going to be freezing outside and I have to go to work and I have to start up that car. I have, no, 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 no you get to. Pastor Monty, it's not a privilege. Oh yes, it is. Oh yes, it is. A couple um, years ago, I'm on the board of directors for two Bible colleges in the country of Nicaragua. It's an, it's an international non-for-profit thing. And a couple years ago, I went with my foster son and one of our other pastors to Nicaragua to visit some of the properties, and we were doing some work there. And the missionary who was leading our work in the the colleges, he took us to um, the dump. He said, today we're going to go to the dump at Matagualpa. And we also went to the dump at Managua. You said, Pastor why why would you go to a dump? Every city in Nicaragua has a dump, just a landfill. But it's not like here. The trucks come in with refuse. It's poured on the ground, and then eventually someone sets fire to it. So throughout the dump, it's smoldering. There's an acrid smoke that hangs over this entire dump. When you come in in a pickup truck, as we did, and I was in the back of the pickup truck, we had, we had huge boxes of candy. Come into, into the dump with a pickup truck, all of a sudden, out of the smoke, it's almost like stepping out of the fog, come children, scores of them, ranging in age from about that old. To teenagers, they're filthy. They're covered with dirt and, and filth from the dump. It's Pastor Monty, where do they live? They actually live in shacks that are built in the dump. There is a neighborhood in the middle of the dump built of shacks. We would not call it a neighborhood. There's no heat. There's no air conditioning. There's no electricity. These are, these are not as good as your, your storage barn outside. But this is where these people live. And the reason they're in the dump is because they are looking for plastic bottles. They collect plastic bottles, and when they get enough of them, they can recycle them for a few dollars. And that is how they survive. Now, I, want you to, I wish every person in this room could see this. So I'm in the back of a pickup truck, and by the way, I thank God for sunglasses. Because I was tearing up as these children emerged from this acrid smoke fog and gathered around that truck, realizing we were Americans, and they knew we would give them something, and the missionary said, give give each ch- child a piece of candy. And I'm looking at these children covered in filth who've been working this dump, and I'm not giving them one piece of candy. I'm reaching in with these gigantic hands and giving them handfuls of candy And tears are streaming down my cheeks. And I think to myself, I never have to in America. I get to. And my problems are nothing compared to children who are eking out bare survival in the middle of a trash dump. I want to remind you folks, and this is something we ought to put in our brain our problems are first world problems. And therefore many of them are, well, you know, Pastor, I, 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 my, the buzzer went off in my car and I, I have to go get an oil change. <laughs> okay, you've got a car. You ever think about that? See, it changes everything when you change how you're thinking about it. So the present moment. I, it, 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 well, I, I have to, man, I just have to get up and go to that miserable job. Hey, do you remember when you applied for that job? Do you remember that? Do you remember when you prayed to God that you'd get that job? <laughs> and, then, and then God gave you that job? Okay, well, yeah, but it was exciting the first two days. <laughs> okay. okay, okay, reinvent yourself to the excitement you had when you first came there. By the way, I think, preacher, that's how you've been here 28 years. I know that's how I've been in Avon for 20 years by reinspiring myself about the work that God has given me to do. It is not a have-to situation, it is a get-to situation. Focus on the present moment. Avoid something called decoupled cognition that is filling the present with thoughts unrelated to the present, such as things about the, the past or the future. Here, here's a good way, you might jot this down in your notes. Do not let the past... Bleed into the present, okay? Or soak through into the present. Don't let the future soak back into the present. You shouldn't do that. And then, then quickly, verse number six, I want to teach you this. The imperative of prayer, verse number six, the Bible says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Or, okay, what do I do about the things that are outside of my control or the things that I have partial control over? Listen, listen, I learn to pray. <sighs> Pastor Monty, that's also pie in the sky. No, it's not. Look at me. We've got a few minutes. It's just snowing and miserable. Just you're warm and comfortable in here, don't worry about the time. Hey, here's the kind of prayer I'm asking you to do. Cast, now, now listen to these words. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Okay? Casting all our care upon him, for he careth for thee. Those two ideas, I'm talking about something I call casting prayer. Casting prayer is, not, is, is prayer that's a little bit different. I have a burden about something I cannot control. Let's say a person, maybe a wayward child, or, or someone I'm, you know, there's an issue I can't control. Preacher, what do you do about that? I cast the burden upon the Lord. Now, I'm going to be real practical with you, and, and you can think this is crazy. All you want, it works for me. I have a place where I go to cast a burden upon the Lord. The house I lived in three years ago, the place was the Methodist churchyard that was next to us. The Methodists had a fire pit and they had little little benches there and they had a cross and everything in the way back in the churchyard. And when there was a burden I would have that was really bothering me mentally, I was just I couldn't get rid of it in my brain. I would go back to that place, and here's how I would pray. I'd be very, very specific. I'd say, Lord, I'm really bothered about, and I'd lay out the whole problem. And I'd say, Lord, now tell me, is there something else I can do in relationship to this? And then I would just sit there quietly and wait, and see, would the Holy Spirit give me something to do? And if he did, then I knew I had more responsibility. But, but if, not, if not, then I would say, okay, now, Lord, I'm casting this burden upon you okay? Uh, To cast it means to put it all on him. Does everybody notice this? It doesn't mean to hold half of it, okay? That's where you get the mental anguish part. So I'm going to cast this burden upon you, and here's what I'm going to do. Lord, I'm giving this problem to you. When I get up and walk away from here, I am done thinking about it because I have given it to you. Now notice, okay, We are to pray, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passeth understanding. Okay, if you don't do what the scripture says, you'll not know the peace of God. But the result of doing what the scripture says is the peace of God. So I would go to the Methodist church. By the way, it's funny when I think about it, I dropped off more garbage (laughs) at the Methodist church than they could possibly know. In my little place of prayer. And I went there and said, Lord, I'm giving this to you. Now, now, let me ask you a question. When you give something to the Lord, have you put that in capable hands? Have you? Okay, when you give a wayward son or daughter to the Lord, have, have you put them in capable hands? You sure have. Do you know that God's a better father than, than, than I can be, than you can be? God's a better parent Than I can be or that you can be, he sure is. When I've given that thing over that I cannot control, that person, that situation, that issue, that health problem, Lord, I've got bad news from the doctor, and Lord, now I'm giving that to you. And the Bible says the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him to deliver them, and I'm claiming that promise. Now, Lord, I'm giving it to you. Here is the key. When I get up from that place, having scripturally cast my burden on the Lord, I don't think about it anymore. But Pastor Monty, shouldn't you pray and pray and pray every day? Oh, you can do that, but make sure you're casting it so that when you're done with the prayer, it's not ruminating in the brain. Does everybody follow what I'm saying here? Very important, because it is then that the peace of God that passes understanding comes. And look at verse 7. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts, and note this, and your minds through Christ Jesus. Well, Pastor Monty, when does that happen? When I do what the Bible says. Now, now listen. I'm going to give you a homework assignment, okay? In addition, let's just jot this down. I want you to read Matthew chapter 6, particularly the last half of the chapter. I want you to read Matthew chapter 6, and I want you to notice how many times Jesus talks about the things we think about in Matthew chapter 6. There is a discipline here. So, in summary... I'm going to refuse certain things. What am I going to refuse? Things over which I have no control. Stop thinking about it. Things over which I have partial control, I'm not going to worry about outcomes. I'm only going to think about my area of control. And the things that I control fully, I'm going to fill my mind with those things. I'm also going to refuse to think of the negative past, anything that is in the past, because I have no control. It happened. There's nothing I can do about it. Stop ruminating. I'm not going to worry about what's happening tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about the future. And by the way, tomorrow I'm really going to delve into this. I'm not going to worry about the future because (laughs) I can't control the future. I'm going to focus on the present moment. All of these things I've given you are ways to judge your own thinking. Pastor, what do I do with this? Take the outline, and when you get anxious, stop and say, wait a minute. Am I thinking about something outside of my control? Am I thinking about something in the past? Am I worried about the present? And all of these things are out of bounds for my thinking. Pastor, what should I think about? Think about the present moment. Think about how good God is. Think about, well, Pastor, Monty, you know, uh, things would be better if I had this, this, and this. Would you stop that? Well, but Pastor, it, it, it's just, no, it's not. Can I say something? Things are great right now. You know what? How many of you had a nice supper tonight? Did you have a nice supper? You all ate a meal. No one in here skipped all day. You ate something. You had a meal. And things are wonderful. Focus on what we have. Have you ever just appreciated... How many love coffee? Do you love it? I do. I love it. By the way, black coffee. Don't ruin it. Okay? Okay. And Can I just tell you this? In times of national crisis... They're going to ration cream and sugar. You just better be used to black coffee, okay? I'm preparing for Armageddon. Give me black coffee. Isn't there something nice? Tomorrow morning, do this. Rather than slam your coffee down like it's some kind of a drug that's going to propel you through the day, rather than do that, take a moment to sip that cup of coffee to think about how good God is and to appreciate the present moment to appreciate it. Folks, it will absolutely transform your life. And, and make a rule. I'm not thinking about those things out of my control. I'm not thinking about the negative past. I'm not thinking about the future. I'm thinking about right now. Father, thank you for your word tonight, and thank you, Lord, for so many uh, powerful things that are in the word concerning our thoughts. God, I pray that you'll help us to look at these rules, these scriptural standards for thinking and to bring our thoughts into conformity. We are not to be filled with care for anything. And yet, Lord, some of us live that way. I pray you'll help us right now to rebuke, to refuse thinking that is not in line with Scripture, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, preach. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's word. If you have any questions about Myo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.